There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Episode number 28 collective i'm ben o'brien and this week joined by none other than adam foss and why should you know adam foss well there's a ton of reasons uh, he is renowned in my mind he's a renowned filmmaker a renowned photographer uh, one of the best mountain hunters you'll ever meet and one of the best sheep hunters you'll ever meet denoted by the fact that he's the youngest sheep hunter ever get the Grand Slam with a bow. I believe he was 24 years of age, which is ridiculous. Uh, he came from an ultimate mountain hunting badass family, uh, raised in Alberta. And he's got a lot of stories to tell about hunting with his dad and his brother, and what that means to them, their connection uh, that led to his connection with the hunting community and how that's changed his life. And being a part of my generation, somebody I, I feel is my peer, Adam also has a lot of insight on, on how he can do better going forward and what the hunting community can benefit from in the future. So, without further ado, my friend, Adam Fox. Buddy. Benny, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. We're currently in Montana, and we're drinking beer from the uh, aptly named 406 Brewing Company. Yes, sir. Here in Bozeman. Um, I like it. Do you like it? I really like it. I like the... It's kind of a hoppy, floral... <laughs> yeah, but describe note. the notes as you, if you were to like... Ho- hoppy and floral, there's a little bit of citrus in there. Mm. Nice and light, you know, summer's kind of coming to an end and yeah. it's reminding me, it's bringing me back. It's bringing me back to summer. Yeah, yeah. we almost drank it all before the podcast even started. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So I like to, uh, I like to make sure everybody knows how much we're drinking and if we're drinking during these podcasts. Um, I feel like if you're drinking while you're listening at the same sort of rate, yeah, you're just tracking along with. Yeah. So if you have a growler at home, you'll have to, at this point, you'll have to chug it to almost the bottom. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then you'll be right where we are and you'll be feeling pretty good about life. Um, Welcome back to Bozeman. Thank you, sir. You're a Canadian though. Full-blooded. Full-blooded Canadian. That's right. I'm trying to think of the Canadians I've had on the podcast to see who... uh, See how we can match them up. Now, we've had uh, uh, one Shane Mahoney on. The Shane Mahoney. The Shane Mahoney. Who else? Adam Yankee. Very who nice. Who I called Janky for a long time until he corrected me. But you only were saying that over email, so he couldn't tell you. No, I had on the podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's how I roll. Nice. I'm still a redneck, regardless of how I do this. Uh, and I think that that might be it. Number three. The third Canadian. I'll take it. Little known fact, Adam and my myself are in the same town up in oh. British Columbia, Kelowna. Oh. Kelowna. British Columbia being the Montana of the North. I think in terms of hunting opportunity, in terms of mountains, public lands, fishing, it's a pretty good comparison. Yeah. I mean, you have every game species you'd ever want to chase. Basically. White tails. They're there. Mule deer. They're there. Black bear. Yep. Grizzly bear. Don't hunt them, though, anymore. Don't hunt them. No, fuck them. <laughs> uh, elk. Yep. Two kinds. Sheep. Three kinds. Goats. One kind. Moose. One kind, yep. I guess there's some shiris down in the southeast corner, I think. Yeah. Is there a caribou? There is. Uh, bison. Yep. Wild horse. Lots of wild horses. Yep. Can't hunt those. Cat species, got some mountain lions, bobcats. I think that's most of everything. Some of the best fisheries in the world. That's right. Yeah, and you've got you've got black tails, you've got mule deer, got white tails. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on, and I feel uh, I feel jealous. But now that I'm living in Montana, I, I this is my first week in Montana. And I see the people talking around I me. Mean, they talk like in a language that I've never heard before. But there's these shared resources where they can all go and hunt. There's all kinds of game species running around. Everybody talks about it like, oh my God, we have this. Have you been up? Have you been up to Castles? You know, White Creek? You been up Black Creek? You been up Gray Creek? I don't know where any of these places are. Bear Creek? Yeah, I've been up Bear Creek. <laughs> I don't know where any of these places are, but it sounds like we could all go there and do the thing we like to do. So I'm glad that you live in, in British Columbia. And you're only not far from here. I mean, you drive across the border 10 hours. Yeah, we're not too far. Um, we share a little bit of border and and a lot of similarities. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, a lot of differences, and lots of lots of land to roam free. Like you said, it is a novel concept to be able to do the things that we do and yeah. uh, trying to take much. it for granted. You take it for granted on when it comes to species in BC and you think about coming down below the 40, lower 48 and the opportunity, I, I just hunted mountain goat and sheep yeah. and just rolling through town today and running into a bunch of friends. Oh, how, how many years did it take you to draw that tag? None. I just, yeah, over the counter. I oh, just geez. went to the counter. <laughs> yeah. the, the sheep counter. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he tried, tried to not take it for granted because it is a pretty fantastic yeah. opportunity and, and one that, uh, 
growing up doing it and doing it now into my adulthood, it is uh, it is pretty special. Yeah, no, I think there's a perspective that gets lost in you know every everybody that hunts or fishes and and comes to love it. You know, they have their own perspective, right? Whitetail hunters, a lot of people hunt out of their backyard. They hunt in the back forty. They hunt on the farm, on the ranch, whatever. But that's all they have. You know, everybody's like the purview of a regular hunter is pretty small, mm-hmm. right? Look around, you, you have certain opportunities in certain places. But you come to a place like this, or you come to a place like British Columbia, and all of a sudden your vision is widened. And the opportunities are endless, and you could buy a combo license in Montana. And if you hunted your ass off, never fill all the tags, which I've been told a few times. And it just doesn't, I mean, there's no way to get that perspective unless you come here and you see the people and you're like, these people don't know what they got. Or if they do know what they got, you know, it's 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 hard unless you've lived other places and seen other things mm. to know, mm-hmm. especially in British Columbia. I've always, you know, in my past magazine editor jobs, it was always like best hunting destinations what what are they british columbia one two three whatever the number but it's up there mm-hmm. it's up there oh. and um and you grew up where exactly i grew up in alberta so the province east of bc it's but it's straight north from here right north of us all the same species yeah a lot of the same species um and a little bit different geography. So BC's set up where a huge portion of the population is all centered around the U.S.-Canada border and, and yeah. Vancouver. And then when you go north, it gets a lot less um, densely populated. And so you can really kind of get into some areas where yeah. not a lot of people are getting. In Alberta, it's sort of it's similar, but a lot of the good sheep country is right down south in southern Alberta. Um, so a lot of different areas for bighorn sheep and the area that I grew up hunting, yeah. archery zone. A lot of that good stuff is a bit closer to the city of Calgary and the city of Edmonton. So yeah. kind of populations of a million people in, in each of those cities are oh, all yeah. over. You got the Rockies running right through there. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, you got the Edmonton bow zone where everybody's killing sticking big bucks right there. Exactly. I mean, a, yeah, I've spent a lot of time hunting that province. It's a great province. Yeah. Um, yeah, that part of Canada is beautiful. Um, describe your upbringing. I mean, I know, I know there's a – it's – I want to say hunting rich. Is that a right term? I mean, your dad is a badass, badasses <laughs> when it comes to sheep hunting. So give me a rundown. Yeah. And I think I just grew up following along. I, I, I don't know. Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother. Right. Just one. Though. And would you follow in his footsteps or look up to him? Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Had to. Yeah. Not, had no choice. But yeah, I mean, there's a certain age. I think there's a certain age range where you know, you just, you gravitate towards that. I mean, it's, it's the thing that, you know, it's the thing that's in front of you all the time. So yeah. But then you break off at some point, hopefully and do your own thing. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I don't know if I really consciously made the decision to, to hunt as much as it was, I was just had a bow in my hand and I was shooting gophers and killing skunks and, and yeah. doing all that dumb stuff you do as a kid. Cause my brother was doing it. My dad was doing it and followed them everywhere. Um, and, and for us, it was just one of those things that we love doing. We love being outside, but it, it was always just a foundation of our relationship. And I told people, a lot of people can sit on a couch and watch TV with their dad every Sunday and watch football and have dinner and, and go to movies and live life and seemingly 
have a great relationship and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but there's a level of depth and yeah. richness that yeah. only comes when, yeah, or is only enhanced when you're doing it outside and you're doing it together. And I think that I've haven't lived in the same place as either of those guys since I was 18 off to college and both have been able to maintain those relationships just because I think that yeah. hunting is such a big part of it. And maybe not even hunting, um, you know, fishing, camping, being outside, just that part of being able to connect with somebody, even for a small period of time makes it last. And and some of my, my greatest friendships are with people that might start in that setting. And no matter what, if you can get back to those places with those people, it, uh, it, it always seems to rekindle it. Yeah. I mean, you know, as well as I do, there's, there's this level of connection, right? I always try to describe it as there's experiences that are exciting, right? In life, mm-hmm. football, if somebody scores a touchdown on TV that you may get excited. Oh, he did it. Yeah. What an amazing thing. But it's a two dimensional experience because when that's over, what do you get from it? Yep. You get the high, you get the, you know, you're excited for the thing that happened on the television. Very much the same as riding a roller coaster. Ooh, you ride the roller coaster, you get off the roller coaster, you got your high for the moment, but then it's over. Mm-hmm. There's no residual effects from football in your life, I would hope, <laughs> unless you're <laughs> unless you're in the stands getting drunk and you get arrested. Or there's no residual effects from a roller coaster. But hunting in itself is is in my experience is exciting and connective as anything else you can do. But it after the exciting part is over, there's this connective tissue of the food, of the experience, of the skills, of all the things that come with it. Mm-hmm. And so. I say that about my relationship with my dad. It's just like a three-dimensional relationship mm-hmm. to the point where we have these moments that you can't, you couldn't recreate those moments. Mm-hmm. You couldn't recreate the experience of, of killing an elk with your dad and how that feels. You couldn't do it. And I think that's what a lot of those two-dimensional experiences that are manufactured by society are trying to do, right? They're trying to recreate that experience that you could have in the woods with your dad and you had it with your dad and your brother, which all the better for me. Super lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Super lucky. And I think that the other part of it is you make those relationships and then that other residual effect is sort of this been thinking a lot about sort of mental calluses that you build on your brain of what you can actually do, what you are capable of. And there's lots of ways to test yourself. You can, be an ultra marathon runner or mm-hmm. you can try a new diet or you can get into CrossFit. You know, you can get into different things that are sort of these disciplines that require a lot of energy and focus and commitment. But I think that hunting somehow makes it sort of elicits this more deeper primal, something that's a little bit inside of you that triggers this, notion of wow i am capable of feeding myself of traveling through the mountains of navigating of getting out of a tough situation of cutting up an animal that i might not know necessarily how to do that but i can see the muscle groups and i I tell people that all the time well how do i know what to do and when will i understand how to do the gutless method on an elk or or when to take five steps when i should have only taken three it's like well, one experience, but two, you got the instincts. Yeah. We're ba- it's baked in, yeah. and it's something we haven't lost yet, and I hope we never do. But those hunting experiences always just seem to you just bring back a flood of 
of those skills that you just didn't know you had. And, yeah, and then and, you get you get back from one of those experiences, and let alone be with your dad or your brother, just somebody you never even met before, hmm. or somebody that you've known all your life and never hunted with. And then next time you see him, like the hugs a little bit, <laughs> it's a little bit tighter, and the handshakes a little bit firmer, and like the stories are a little bit funnier, and you get to a point where you're like, man, I'm not sure how we achieved this, but like the human connection, yeah, we got that. Yeah, you know, we got that, and it wasn't like we didn't go to a sporting event or we didn't go golfing or we didn't go. We went living, like mm-hmm. we lived together and experienced something that you couldn't recreate anywhere else. And shit, now we have this bond. And I'm, I described before, like walking in trade shows and you have all these like <laughs> disparate, like oh, I hunted sheep with that guy in British Columbia. I was in Hawaii, Lanai with that guy, but the feeling is the same. Right, you all experience some real shit together, you know. And I imagine, I hate to compare it, and it's it's an empty comparison in a lot of ways. But you know, when I've had folks that were in the military on, they describe the brotherhood of these experiences bringing you together. It's not, it's not that, but it's some version of that uh, that drives you. And let alone having that with your family, which I think is even a way deeper version of that experience. Yeah, and it's it's been really fun. I just got back from a hunt with my wife. Yeah. And she grew up downtown Seattle. I took her first time she'd ever been in the mountains. She called it a tennis shoe summit. Getting to the top <laughs> of the mountains. I, gotta shoes. I just want to stop you real quick. Because <laughs> this is the first time I met your wife today. I heard a lot about her. She had apparently heard a lot about me. <laughs> I, don't that, I don't know what that means. Um, but like, she seemed to be the most accepting wife of your hunting habits, which are pretty aggressive. <laughs> to the point where she was suggesting more. And I, I immediately thought, wow, okay. All right. <laughs> Adam Foss could not have any other wife than this one right over here. Because not only did she like, well, you know, that's those hunts are tough. We should do more of them. You know, if you can't if you don't get a ram this year, we'll just go back. <laughs> I'm thinking you done well. Yeah, she's pretty special. I think she just knows how she, she, sort of the history with my family and just what a big part of it it is for me and probably what I'm like if I don't do it. <laughs> yeah. My wife knows that part of me too. You get home from one of them big trips, it's like, yeah, takes you a while to come back. Yeah. And where I was going with it is that she didn't grow up doing this stuff and she has no barometer of what the normal hunting experience should be. The first trip we ever did was probably eight years ago and it turned into a, it was a 75 kilometer through hike, lake to lake connecting it. And it ended up turning into a sideways bush bash, horrible weather. She was purple from the waist down from all these willows and catching the float plane just in time the guy was doing one pass and picked us up and it was one of those moments i'm never doing that again in your own mind in my mind too asking why do we do this stuff Mm. and for her it was her first experience at it and we're looking at each other feeling the same thing and and this float plane takes off off the lake and we look over our right shoulder and we see this glacier and this whole flat that we had just covered and the valley that we dropped into and skirted around a grizzly bear and three cubs and all the goats that were dotting the mountainside and as soon as that plane came off the lake and we looked over we both looked at each other and it was if 
we wanted to just be right back at that first leg and do it all over again immediately. The the bruises and the blisters heal instantly. And we were hungry (laughs) to get back up there. But I thought you were like hungry for a pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, that too. Definitely. And so so that was one of her first experiences. And it, it wasn't, I didn't sort of, I didn't do it strategically. We just, she said, Hey, I want to go backpacking in this area. And I said, well, there's goats there and let's do a backpacking goat trip and it'll be fun. And it'll be be fun. Hey, (laughs) I didn't strategically say, okay, well, I'm going to get her involved in, in some, some whitetail hunting and she'll kind of see some deer and then get her involved maybe on a spot stock mule deer hunt and then ease her in. It was, she kind of got thrown into the, (laughs) yeah, into the baptism by fire. Well, and and anybody who, you know, that experience with your wife, you know, I know you guys don't have kids, but someday maybe like that'll make you better for that. You'll have been through something that is freaking hard. And that's why I, was, you know, I hate to repeat myself with these fancy analogies, but I like them. You know, I like, yeah, I like to <laughs> you like your own analogies. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm a <laughs> real big fan. People that listen to the podcast will be like, oh, he fucking likes this one. Oh, okay. He's pulling it out again. But, um, uh, if you think about it, we Cole Kramer and I were doing a podcast, you know Cole well. Awesome. Of course. Oh yeah. And we were just talking about these backcountry experiences and kind of what they do for your life, the utility of the backcountry experience. And uh we started talking about if if your life was a knife, life, the old life knife, that just the slog of daily society, the slog of the nine to five, the office, the the stress, the computer, the kids the thing that dulls the knife right because it it makes it it makes it so life is just harder to go through like the challenges become bigger sitting in traffic becomes annoying you know that like these first world problems become bigger than what they really are then you go out in the woods and you realize and you stay for you know like you get you do for weeks on end and you overcome challenges like well i gotta eat but i gotta go over there before i can i gotta go get water down at the creek that shit's that's some bitches a mile drop down and then i gotta come back up to camp you start to sharpen that freaking knife again, you know, because the harder it is the things that you're doing, the sharper you are to do them. And then when you come back to the real world, you're sharp as shit. And you can cut through life. It's easy. You know, you're sitting in traffic. You're like, ah, these don't got to go down and get water at the creek mile down. Uh, so you're not as frustrated with the traffic or the sub shop taking too long to make your sandwich or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that perspective is valuable. And then you do that long enough, then your knife gets duller and duller. And you get more frustrated and more frustrated. Then you go back to the wilderness, sharpen that bitch up again, and go back at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what it's very much like for me. And that's where I'm sure you're like me. You get back to the real world for a minute. You get a little bit depressed because those challenges are less intense and they're more surface. They just seem less important, too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you get see people getting mad about like waiting in line for something, dude. The only reason you're mad about this because you don't have perspective. You're not sharp enough to just be like, "Fuck this, man. This is fine. Mm-hmm. This is nothing compared to having to chop a tree down, cut the wood up, make a fire, and eat my dinner." Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick folks, or you 
open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Um, And what do you think about, I find this too, where day by day you sort of build this layer of immersion where the first day you're kind of bopping around, you're going, I should be doing something or, because I think that we are just so stimulated, right? Sitting right here and we have these phones and we have these Netflix shows and we have just so much stimuli to do, to to, to treat us with and access to everything. And I don't know, when I get out there the first day or two or three, I'm finding myself feeling like I should be doing something. I should be busier. And I think that, kind of goes away after a couple of days and then it's just sort of traveling glassing here thinking about where sheep might be where are we going to camp for water mapping it out thinking about the clouds and the way that they're moving and when weather's coming in and all those things and you start yeah. to just tune in and i think that's why i like these like longer trips is because you rip out for an elk hunt in the morning and you just start to get there hearing bugles and and you're sort of in the, in the moment. And 
and then you you go back. Or or the thing that I hate too is you get up to the top of the mountain, and you get self service. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say the same shit. I'm like, you get to the top, you're like, I made it. Yeah, I'm to the middle of fuck. I got emails. Yeah, hundred percent. We did yeah. that. We were doing that last weekend. We were hiking up, and I had no service, no service. We got to the mountain. <laughs> we sat down because I hadn't even turned my phone on silent because I had no service in camp. Yeah, and we got up to the top of the mountain and ding. Right. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? So yes, a hundred percent. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate irony of that. That you scenario ripped right out of the. You get eject button out of the. We were talking about Northwest Territories. You spent a shit ton of time up there. We talked. We could probably do a whole t- podcast just about um, that country. But I remember it's the first I figured it. But I it, it was like this before. But this this trip last year in August was the first time I had figured that. There's like a, like you have to shake the society off you. You know, day one, you're hiking. You're like, I'm tired. I'll just stop. Or I'm tired. I want to stop. And then day three, day two, you're like, oh, I wish I could get a shower. I'd really like a shower. And then day three, you're like, I'd love a lasagna <laughs> that, does, that I'm not eating out of a bag. But then day four, you're like, fuck this shit. I love it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want any of that stuff anymore. So like you, you, Take some time, sometimes soon, sometimes it takes a while, sometimes it takes a week sometimes mm-hmm. to just shake off the comforts of society and just be there. Just be in the moment and mm-hmm. be like, this is going to be tough, but that's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And for me, even just, just my lungs, my head, my, it really it's your brain that's trying to tell you like, remember that thing that we were doing that was really comfortable? We'll go back to that. We can still go back. We can call them. The plane will come pick us up. We'll go back. And three or four days into it, they're like, no, turn them back now. Exactly. We're too deep. <laughs> exactly. We're too deep. And, and uh, that's that, beautiful. That reminds me of something Frankie said on this. It's my wife, um, Frankie, said on this last trip. And and we had this hunt plan. We we walked in up this valley and then we punched up into the Alpine and we hunted this ridge and looking at all these bulls. And we were pretty far back into this spot. And it was cold and it snowed and and uh we ended up killing this goat way far back and and it turned into a total as they do bushwhack out of it. it took us three days to bushwhack this goat out point of the story she reflecting back on it she said well it only started to get really fun when it got hard <laughs> and i said bingo love you because she was she was going oh this is cold and i don't know and we're not really seeing a whole lot of rams and she enjoyed it but she said it only really got fun when it got hard. And yeah. I went, holy shit, you've learned more from these few handful. She's been to Spain hunting Ibex and Argentina, Red Stick. And she doesn't hunt herself. Let me clarify. She's around glassing for animals and hiking around. Yeah. She's done these sheep hunts in Alberta for bighorns with my brother and goat hunts in BC. And, and we're we're, we're, we're at the refilling end of, a beer. We're at the end of the life of this growler. I'm just going to give you the right. whole. Okay. Well, I thought we had a lot of beer, this growler, but. Started to evaporate. Yeah. There's a hole in the bottom. Uh, continue. And she was saying, hey, it only, got, it only got good when it got hard. And I said, wow, you've learned more about this stuff in a compressed amount of time than most people know. Because, yeah. and sometimes I find myself, and this is why we picked this hunt. We had a friend. This sort of an old, as as all best hunting stories start. Well, all the old pilots say that the biggest rams in that range live here. 
<laughs> and, All the old pilots. And and so we both leaned in and said, where? And he, and he said, here. And he said, it's about, yeah, it's about 25K, which are, you know, 18 miles up the horse trail. Then you got to take a left and then it's a couple more days back and then you drop in. And anyways, this, this, this whole hunt was planned around a good old fashioned hard mountain hunt. And that's kind of what I was going for. And I think that you think about ways to make it easier, better technology, lighter, lighter boots and equipment and apparel and packs and higher calorie foods, uh, bows and rifles that shoot farther and more accurate. You think about ways to make it easier and more efficient and better for the hunter. And we sort of relearned that, the the beauty of it and the challenge of it is in is in how hard it is and for her to say that at her junior level of jedi hunting training yeah was was pretty astounding and she she didn't miss a beat she just she also said the only way out is out what am i gonna do (laughs) yeah we gotta go out that's the most beautiful (laughs) thing about those trips how many times in your daily life do you get to a point where I, I like I either have to do this or I don't like I either have to do this or I die or I have to do this or I'm here for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like I either whack this thing out of here or I've got to drop all this stuff. Like there's there's consequences out there that are tougher and harder than consequences of daily life, you know. I find even the hardest thing in my daily life, you know, which is relatively simple becomes this like well, I could do something else. It is 100% harder to do something than it is not to do it. Right. That is a fact. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful that, that Frankie has kind of picked that up so quickly. Cause, and the fact that you picked it up as a child, I'm sure, from your dad, who's, who's a, you know, as we said, a badass. You know, I, I don't know that I didn't pick it up from my dad, but but we lived in a different place. We didn't have sheep. We did. We just hunted white-tailed deer and it was more of a communal thing. It was more of a, you know, sharing the meat, sharing the time, sharing the family. It was less of a challenge to ourselves. It was cold in the morning, of course, but sitting tree standing cold. It's all right. <laughs> it was not later until I was later in life. So I started discovering this kind of like perspective giving experience. And, um, I was glad to have it when I got it, but I wish I had it sooner. And I think what the coolest thing about hunting is, is that, there isn't very many activities where there is so many, there's a myriad of options for progression. Yeah. And it is such a personal journey. And we talked a lot about that in that hunt too, because we, I think it's really easy to compare ourselves to other people that hunt in different States on the internet, on TV. And what's relative for that person is not the same for for me. It's not the same for you. And it's a personal quest. It's one of the only activities that is like that that I can think of that is, it is, it is so personal and there's so many options. You can do it any way you want and you can always make it harder. You can always make it easier. You can always yeah. make it different. Yeah. And you just talked about living, just being up here in Montana and all the public land that's available. And you could never hunt out of a two hour circle of Bozeman, Montana and probably hunt the same trail twice. No. Or for the same species twice. No. And you start thinking about that and you start zooming out and thinking about ways to put a different spin on a hunt that you've done. Or one thing that we've sort of gotten into is taking newer people out to it and experience it through their eyes. And 
there's just no, it's just an in, infinite life doesn't have enough years to be able to experience all these things. And so I think that it's truly just such a special thing about this thing that we love to do is that you can always, we can always do something different and make it harder. And that journey is so personal yeah. to track yourself along through it and to see her starting on this journey and wherever I am in this journey, whenever you are in this journey is, is something profound. And I just encourage everybody to kind of remind themselves of that, that it is, it's, it's about you, the way you want to do it and how you want to do it. Not anything else when it comes to hunting. Yeah. Do you find, I, I, I've, I've struggled with that concept for a lot of reasons. I think social media has kind of given us all this prism through which to shine the lights, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is what I do, but it's always the best shit. You know, it's not yeah. like, I, oh, I'm terrible at this. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm a terrible, I'm a mediocre I hunter. forgot my fucking boots, man. <laughs> like, it's not that. It's always like, I did it. Yeah. I'm so fit. Yep. I killed the sheep. Oh, so that, that is a struggle too, but. The personal experience, I think, is is a is a very positive thing for hunting, but it can be a negative thing too because it is such a personal experience. There isn't a scorecard, mm-hmm. there isn't an announcer mm-hmm. saying what you're doing and when, and the level of success that you that you glean, I think, is most basically the the how you feel when you first lay hands or first lay eyes on that animal. You know, you could kill the, the 400 inch bull. And do it in a way that's not pure to you and not feel much when it's dead. Mm-hmm. You could kill a raghorn bull that took you 14 days to hike to. It's going to take you three days to hike out still and feel this immense satisfaction in that. Um, and so there's so much different levels you can't. And then we get into all these, like, how do we, how do we, yeah, I mean, you're a photographer, you're a videographer. You've been a part of some amazing films. You've been a part of some amazing photography. And uh, then it's like, how do we capture that? How do we tell that story? Because it's such a personal damn thing that if I tell my own personal story, it may to somebody else somewhere else, it may seem like an, I'm an egotist or it may seem like I don't care about the animal. But really, it's just your own perception of it. Yeah, and I, I think that that's, that's something that as hunters we need to get better at because yeah. I'm – I mean, it's the same way when you hit the trade show floor or – probably when you're hanging around a bar here in Bozeman and you can see the light in somebody's eyes when they say, Hey, I called in this raghorn and I shot him at eight yards and they can't even get the rest of the story out. Yeah. And you're, you go, that is it. Or you see a guy that pulls his phone out and goes, that one was three sixty eight, This one's three seventy one, This one was three forty. I was kind of pissed off that year. And you're, and you go, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. You, you're missing the boat. Yeah. You're missing the boat. And I think the more that we can kind of drill back to that, that feeling of of connection and accomplishment and really promote that i think the better we're doing because because yeah, yeah i just think that i want to get back to that feeling yeah the feeling that you had when you were uh, sitting in a tree stand a deer comes in for the first time and you just about fall out of your tree stand you're shaking so bad oh my god um, yeah and it, it there's some purity to that right you know we always talk about purity score like what's yeah you know, is is to me. You know, we've gotten twisted up in a lot of subject matter, right? As hunters, how big the antlers are? Is it public land or is it private? Mm-hmm. You know, how far did you go back? Did you pack them out? You're driving ATV to them or whatever. But all those things are like building blocks on which you build your personal experience, right? Your your wife has been lucky enough to be married to a fucking mountain hunting badass. So her experience, 
<laughs> I don't know if that she would probably argue with you that that's not lucky. What a pussy. <laughs> she probably she probably wish she was married to a, a badass restaurant tour or something yeah, like that. Could, she <laughs> eat a steak and relax. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean so her her yeah, I mean she's lucky to get that like initial experience of hunting to come through your to your your prism and the way that you see things and do things. A lot of people just aren't lucky to have that. I my personal journey was very much like just a regular regular hunting weekend warrior. It was all about me and my dad kind of, me and my friends. That was all it was all kind of about that. But then you know, I went away from hunting for a while during college and just wasn't a big part of life. Didn't have a lot of opportunities, was busy. Came back to it professionally and discovered this immense vast world that I fucking knew nothing about. Didn't even know how to work a shotgun when I got my first job in the industry. And I and I just remember thinking that journey was essential to where I am right now. Mm. To my my respect for wilderness, my respect for public lands, my respect for coming to a place like Montana and looking mm. around and being in awe. It wouldn't have happened if it didn't happen that way. Doesn't mean I'm a bad hunter. It doesn't mean I'm a good hunter. It just means that's the way it came to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and the way it came to you, Frankie was was just as great. Well, a whole lot of willows. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of willows. <laughs> Purple from the waist down. Oh yeah. Um so yeah, I mean it's a deep it's a deep deal. Mm-hmm. But but your experience very much was family oriented. And I would say next level, right? I mean, sheep hunting is is um it's not elitist, but it, very few people do it are able to do it because it is a hard thing to do, and and, and it is uh, you know, there's not a lot of opportunities running around. Yeah. Um, so you were able to achieve some things young in your life that maybe not a lot of people have. Um, so give me a rundown of kind of like when you were first introduced to sheep hunting, and then and then how it grew on you, and how you kind of got a bit of a reputation. <laughs> I hate talking about this. Shit. I know you do. I know. <laughs> Can't you just post it in the show like a show's note? Show's notes. This guy. <laughs> No, you got to be able to talk about yourself on a podcast. Oh, my gosh. But just run through it pretty quickly. You don't have to give me the full details. Okay. We'll get back Uh, to Well, yeah. So, like I said, I grew up in southern Alberta. Awesome opportunity for hunting. Just about everything, uh, including bighorn sheep in the Canmore Bow Zone. So, my dad grew up hunting that stuff. Um, I should back up. I grew up hunting that stuff with my dad. My dad hunted that stuff back in the day in the 90s, 80s when it was – before all this stuff was on draw and you could, you could, I mean, he's just got stories about those. I mean, you should see some of these pictures actually. The three pin site where the pins are as big as a matchstick, and the pin <laughs> is like your 10 yard pin. You're like 15 yard pin. <laughs> <laughs> your arrow is like yeah. 115 feet per second. And then <laughs> your 20 yard pin is <laughs> it's down by the bottom can. Yeah. And he, and he said, Oh man, if you would have seen some of the rams that we missed and the rangefinder, well, there was no rangefinders. And then the first rangefinder was that split, yeah. split level thing. Yeah, and shit. And you had to throw a rope at him, then pull the rope back in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's 30 straight. feet. Yeah. But he ran away. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Next time. Next time. Uh, but, but, anyways, so grew up doing that and just exposed to the beauty of the country. And the country kind of locks you in because yeah. I was actually just writing this article about talking about climbing up and, and walking through the boulder fields and, and the shale and then the alpine scrub and then that first moment of emerging of the alpine and just seeing sheep country. And you probably experienced that in mm-hmm. the Northwest Territories. Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's impactful. Mm-hmm. It's vast. You can just look at it and it's almost like 
it's almost like a piece of art that you're looking at. And the more that you look at the piece of art, the painting, you see the brushstrokes, you see the oh, yeah. cracks, and you see the way that this is laid out geographically, but also start to see it as as how an animal might see it. And you see a little bit of water here and sort of the shade this cliff is throwing, and maybe they're going to go in there in the afternoon. And this black shale that they love pawing their beds out and bedding in. And oh, there's, I know oh, I can start to see some trails carved out. Looks like they might go through that pass. And you start to look at it. And the more you look at it, the more it just, it's just sort of enthralling. And so that part of it, as much as it is about the sheep hunting, it, it is the country is just right there with it. And maybe yeah. even more so. And I'm kind of making that argument, I think, to myself. I that, think so. Because, you know, sheep are not this like wary. I mean, they're wary, but yeah. relative to other animals, they're, they're, they're not docile, but they're, you know. Get after them pretty good. Yeah, you can get after them. Beautiful country in this rugged country is is right there along with these animals. And um, so I think that got into me right away. Yeah. And from there, it just sort of evolved. And, and lucky enough to have a father that was interested in it. Took me on hunts in the province, out of province. Um, same with my brother. Follow it along in his footsteps and just got to see it through the eyes of somebody who... It, it it gets their heart going. It gets them revved up. It gets, it's all they can think about. And I think about my brother and the way he is now to this day. I mean, maybe even more obsessed than he ever was, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, and Frankie and I were talking about this in this last hunt too. I'm, I'm kind of at this point where I'm, I'm trying to experience a bunch of different stuff. Probably same as you. You know, yeah. you talked about your year last year. You were in Nepal and New Zealand and Hawaii and Northwest Territories and, DC, Every, DC, everywhere, 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 and you, you and and that's. I feel like I'm kind of there in that stage of, hey, I want to go hunting as a vehicle to take me to all these places and meet all these cool people and see these animals and the mountain landscapes they live in. And so, for me, I'm kind of like taking that approach, and my brother is like focusing on the hardest possible fucking shit that I think you can do <laughs> with a bow in your hand. Yes. And, and which is awesome. And to watch him push it and, you know, he's hunted, he was the first bow hunter to kill an Ibex in Pakistan. Yeah. And we're going to Tajikistan on Tuesday. Yeah. And he's going to try and kill a Marco Polo with a bow. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. There's a lot of sheep. And there's, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me, man. You gotta be joking me. That is legit. It's, uh, yeah. We'll see. To do it all with a bow. I mean, it just, just the sacrifice, the time. I mean, I know he, your brother has a family, correct? Yeah, Wife, he's married. Kiddos, yes. N- or not, no, none not that he kiddos. knows of. Yeah. It might have been one of those kids. <laughs> one of those kids. That last trip to Argentina. Yeah, it's a good right. time. <laughs> Uh, no, but just to, to, to do it with, with those guys, my brother and my dad, just to see the way they kind of operate. And, and like you said earlier, you follow in these footsteps and then you make your own path. And for me, what, what I've done is evolved and had these experiences and looking for challenges and new places. And, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know where it goes from here. And probably same for you. you. You go, well, what do I, what's next? Is it? Yeah. Is it the value I get from throwing a dart at a map on a chunk of public land and going, all right, I know nothing about this mountain range. I'm going to try and figure it out all on my own. It might take me four years to kill a bull in there, but when I do, no matter how big it is, it's going to be satisfying. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the beauty is that it's just a, it's a, like, if you're wandering a path, you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, for me. And, you know, there was a time in my life where I decided that this was going to be my profession, right? In some shape, way, shape, or form. You know, I just decided I'm going to commit to the hunting industry, the hunting community. That's going to be my people. And that that's what matters. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. And in the moment that I decided that, my my hunting life took these like ridiculous turns that they probably should have never took, like things I should never get to do. But at the same time, like I felt like, hey, I'm earning them. You know, this these are things that I um, – I'm not any better at this than anybody else, but these are things that I certainly appreciate in the moment and and, in hindsight and any future adventures. But then your life changes, right? I had a kid and and my life changed. Um, And when he got old enough to have an opinion, (laughs) which has been recent, I realized that 
I was never going to be truly happy in my pursuits if he wasn't top of mind you know, mm. or, or any future kids I might have. So that, that, that's my journey, though. I, I went from coming into the industry and the hunting industry not really knowing much about shit, having been a hunter, but wearing coveralls and shooting a bolt-action rifle and, you know, loving the skin and parties of my dad to going in a ball to shoot a blue sheep. <laughs> the fuck out of here <laughs> you know yours is a little bit more direct like you, your dad led you down the path but but you i mean the place the places you've been and things you've done weren't mapped out for you nobody mapped that shit out no so tell people how to do <laughs> how to be adam foss you know how do you how do you because oh, even in your business life right yeah in creating content for brands creating content for clients and the things that you do um you can't map it out you can't say like your your creativity, the, the the type of photos you want to take, the equipment you're going to use, it all just kind of like comes. It just keeps coming. Yeah, I think energy follows what you're focused on. You focus on it. You focus on making an intentional shift to build everything in your life around this direction that you're headed. And it's amazing the way that things start to roll out mm-hmm. um, and the opportunities that present themselves, or that were always there that you just didn't really see until you made this conscious choice to pursue something and i'd like to think that i mapped it all out and and did a did did some goals and, and had a really strategic plan but like you said it, it it was sort of focusing on what i wanted to do and how i wanted to do it and less strategic man yeah. um yeah i think five-year plans are fucking bullshit because <laughs> <laughs> i think you never had a destination, right? But your dad, and and greatly so, like set you on a path, right? My dad set me on a hunting path. Our our starting points couldn't be any any more different. If you try to place some different points on a map, right? But somehow we got to the point where we're sitting in a room talking about hunting, you know. And, and it's the path we were set on. And we, if I'd have been like, well, you know, the five year plan, you know what the five year plan is? Here's what I'm gonna do: Northwest Territories, kill a caribou. Yeah, I probably would have never got there. I might have, but it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been as serendipitous as what it was. I'm sure for you the same thing. Like you find yourself in Argentina chasing red stag. I could never map that out. <laughs> <laughs> and people ask you, well, "How did you get to where you are today?" Fuck, I don't know. Yeah, I just really like the hunt. Really like the hunt. Um, and, and it's cool. And and you talk about sort of the perhaps some of the cons with the relative exposure to perhaps social media and the way that hunting is presented. I think about that a lot. I also think about the connectivity to the hunting world that we have with that tool. And talking about hunting red stag, two people that I've gotten to hunt with the Patagonia river guides, Rance and Travis that run a fishing outfit and had a fishing lease and said, holy shit, there's some monster red stags here. We better start hunting these things. And then a really good friend that's it's just have come really close with him and haven't spent a lot of time with him other than hunting. Um, Santiago um, down in Argentina, we hunted red stag with him. And it's the same thing. It's like, I would never know these guys existed without this, this sort of tool for outreach. And so it's a double-edged sword too. It's, it's, a challenge that I find myself, maybe you're the same, but you think about how much that warps our sense of, of value and just peace with what our lives are. And we don't have to compare every single thing that we do. 
And then on the other hand, there's these positive, deep relationships that we've made because somebody saw a picture on some Instagram post that a brand shared and they said, hey, would you ever consider coming hunting Red Stag? And you got a friend. And Argentina. you have a friend. Yeah. And the total side, now people in Argentina are awesome. <laughs> they are They are the type of people that if you invite them to, if you said, hey, come on up and hunt elk right now, if they could, they would. And they would sleep on that couch right there for yeah. three weeks. That's my type of people. <laughs> That's my type of people. And vice versa. You're yeah. down there. Come on in. They'll give you the shirt off their back. And it feels like that in New Zealand, other places like that, there's just like little cultures that have maintained this ethic. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I think that's something perhaps maybe in North America, maybe we're just tight wads or I don't know what it is, but there's just so many cool people out there that hunting has connected me with. And I'm so fortunate. And it, it, it's, 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 it's totally a pay it forward type thing. We were just doing this trip up in Northern BC, um, blacktails and, and we were cruising around. Oh man, it's just like a long story, but this guy, like we were looking for the spot. We wanted to get up in the Alpine. We talked to this guy. He was cutting this logging road and he goes, Hey, he kind of waves us over and we're going, I don't know if we're supposed to be here. We're looking for this trailhead and we drive up and he goes, Hey, what are you guys doing? And we said, well, we're, um, we're deer hunting. And he went, Oh, oh, you guys should go over there. And we said, really? And he said, oh, yeah, I see him up there all the time. And he goes, oh, no, you got to cross the bay on a boat. Well, that's okay. I got, I got my boat. You guys go grab it. It's the blue one. And we were going, what's your name? What's your address? Or what's your phone number? Here, do you want us to leave anything with you as collateral? He goes, no, just take my boat. I don't give a shit. So that's something I think is in the north. You might have experienced that. Oh, a little yeah. bit of time up there. Oh, of course. It's, of course. Maybe in South America, New Zealand seems like European people are like that sometimes. And, um, I don't know. I'm going off on a tangent. But no, but I, love I, I will say this, man. I always think about life and the place I live. And I, I've lived in a few places. Like, what is the culture of the neighbor? Right. I always go back to the culture of what a neighbor is. In America right now, in a lot of places I've lived, a neighbor is a person... You're either annoyed by or you give the courtesy wave to. Right. And that's the culture. Now, it's not everywhere. But fuck all, it's a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And the neighbor in New York City is somebody that you yell at or ignore or have to wait in line behind to get a coffee. Right. But there's other places in in the world where the neighbor is this like, it's a, it's, you are now part of a community. Mm Mm-hmm. The culture of the neighbor is uplifting, it's sharing, it's giving, it's sleep on my couch, I sleep on your couch. That's the culture of the neighbor. We have fucking lost my dad, his culture. He's like, dude, when I was a kid, I'd run around the neighborhood and they just let us go and whatever. How we just run in somebody's house, we don't know who they are, run out. We don't care. Have a cookie, leave. He's <laughs> like, Dad, that is t- eating people's random cookies, man. 2018, you can't be eating random cookies. You can't be eating those cookies. You don't know what are in those cookies. Yeah. You know what state you're in. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it could be good. <laughs> but there's this, you know, we're more connected, right? We're more connected than ever. You were able to connect somebody across the world, but then have a relationship that was built on disconnect, which is this oxymoronic activity that we do because we're, we're, we're just... We're, in, we're like little babies when it comes to communicating because we just got this tool not too long ago. 
the tool of social media and internet and, and instant communication right. with anybody around the world all the time. So we just got that. In the span of human communication, that's been like maybe less than 1% of the time. And so we're a baby with that shit. We're terrible. Like we get frustrated. We're like, fuck you when we're on the internet. But it's not, you know, but it also can lead to awesome things. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's as oxymoronic as some of these cultures can, can be. And I've found the Hawaiian culture. I don't know why it's islands. Definitely. <laughs> you feel like islands that just, I do. you just have this, you have to get on a boat to leave or a plane to leave. So we're all got, we're all together on this floating little piece of land. And, New Zealand, Australia. It's hard to get stuff. It's yeah. hard to get stuff in the north. It's hard to yeah. get stuff on islands. Yeah. You got to trade. You need a cup of sugar. Yep. You need a couple extra arrows if you ran out. Yeah. You go to your neighbor. That's where it's that's yeah. where it's so much more connected, yeah. it seems. Like you can't Amazon Prime shit to Haida Gwaii in the did north you, coast of BC. <laughs> did you ever did you ever think about I try to ask a lot of people this. You ever think about the fact that you can live in this society, in the, in Bozeman, Montana, and never leave your house and live a very productive life. You could never leave your house. You could get all the food you need, all the shelter you need. You could have people, all the relationships you need. You could see people in video chat. Never leave your house and you could be the productive. You could be a CEO of a company. Never fucking leave your house, not one time. How scary is that? Definition of productive. Yeah. Definition of productive. But uh, as our society grades the, the gamut of like, what's a good person? You'd be like, well, I have a job. Right. I've got a family. Right. I've got friends. I just don't ever leave the house. I'm going to die in here. My cats are going to eat me. Yeah, my cats. <laughs> Why do they always have cats? <laughs> they always have cats. Why do they have cats? <laughs> Why are the cats? But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a big part of what I think about is what our society allows us to do, but then what, what toll does it exact for that allowance? You know, we can do kind of whatever we want. We're technology has allowed us to do a lot of things but it also exacts a toll in our humanity it mm. takes a little bit away it takes a little bit away of, of our connective tissue mm. along the way and hunting fucking gives it back hey I think we solved all the world's problems well I mean the the growler is empty <laughs> you're about you have to go to you have to leave and go to a um, a thing that I thought was cool when you were telling me earlier uh, your wife and yourself, you had a group of friends. You do what's called a cookbook night, cookbook club, cookbook club, which is even better because it's not just one night. That's right. <laughs> it goes over, it goes around. <laughs> you pick a cookbook, right? Just a single cookbook. Yeah. Now, do you pick a different cookbook every time, or you cycle through this? There's actually a pitch week. Everybody oh. brings a cookbook. Oh. You pitch your cookbook. The group votes on the cookbook. Once that cookbook is selected, the group will cook dishes out of that cookbook for. Maybe four times until we've cooked everything through it or everything that looks good. And so you'll bring an entree. I'll bring an appetizer. Somebody will bring a dessert all from this cookbook. And we'll meet once a month usually. And it's basically an excuse to drink wine and yeah, I was good cocktails. Say, I guarantee you're drinking during <laughs> There's no way. You're sitting around having tea. There's some food. And no, and there is. What it does is it makes you cook Korean food, Icelandic food old school home cooking Italian food and things that you would never just sit there. I mean, I I cycle through tacos, (laughs) pasta, elk steaks, and then I probably do it all over again. That's my three things I can make. (laughs) That are the three things I can make. And that is it. And uh, I think that it just gets you out. It just gets you out doing something different. 
Um, yeah. And we all meet over food. The kitchen is where everybody gathers at a party. Yeah. Um, food is, is where stories are told. And so it, I can't, I can't tell you that we had this grand plan. It was, it was a friend of ours who came up with it, but it was actually really cool. And yeah. his friendships were meaningful. And we knew the nice thing is anytime in this day and age and the travel that you do and I do that when you say bye to a friend and you know, the next time you're going to see him, that is a good feeling. Yeah. It's like when you say bye to a relative and you say, I know I'm going to see you at grandpa Tim's birthday, or I'm going to see you at Christmas. You have these Christmas Thanksgiving, you have Easter. Maybe you have these gathering points with family that you know, you're going to see them. And now as an adult, we're in our thirties, we get to choose our family and our friends and we get to say, Hey, we're going to make it a priority to spend time with these people. We love them like family. And I think that that feeling, this cookbook, little cookbook club thing, to have that feeling and to have a reason to get together and say, hey, I'll see you next month yeah. is awesome. Oh, shit. That feeds the soul, man. Not to yeah. get too dramatic about it, but <laughs> I always, I like, I got a pretty steady soul, I think. Like, I don't, I'm not too, you know, sketchy on life. I think I got, I'm pretty grounded. I'm like, I know what I want to do. I'm happy with this. I'm not happy with that. I'm not. I don't need to see a therapist and talk through any of this shit. And I wonder why that is a lot of times. Because I'm not any better than anybody else. But then I think back to my family life. And I'm like, there was all, when I was a kid, there's always a place to go back to. Yeah. There was always a, oh, see you at Easter. Both grandparents' house, our house, it's a cousins. You know, it was close family you could always go back to. And I feel like that's, that's, you know, that steadies your soul. Like, you life's less trouble even if the people that you have to go back to are fucked up because <laughs> they are because <laughs> they are i mean there's no perfect family your family is fucked up anybody listen to this if your family is perfect just write in and tell me how you've achieved it ask them if they're adopting yeah <laughs> i'll be in <laughs> um but yeah i mean you, it, those things i think are they're steadying and i think it's hard to recognize sometimes in your life but yeah i mean you have you know, to bring that all full circle and be real melodramatic about it. Hunting is that way too. It steadies your own relationships, but it also steadies your life a little bit and gives you, you know, like a little perspective on on the old what the old soul needs to feel like on a daily basis. So no question. You don't have to go get, get therapy and talk through your issues. You can uh, work them through on a freaking mountain, man. Go buy a growler from 406, do a podcast, or go hunting. But... It is pretty astounding, and I, I think I'm excited for you because I'm excited for you to find that in Bozeman, and yeah. that's something we miss. We live here for a while, and whether it's your little 3D archery league or the same group of guys that uh, you go for a beer with, a cookbook club, or your fishing buddies, there is a really good sense of community here, it seems, and just walking around town today, we just ran into so many people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's I, we were talking about that. I said, yeah. you know, one of the most exciting things for me in moving here was like, I think this place could be a community. Yeah. And I said, I live here for 30 years because I think it's a community. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I were talking about that. You know, you live in a place and you're there for work or you're trying to like adopt the culture. And it's a lot of effort. Make friends. It's a lot of effort. But when you get to a place where you're like, I could smoothly fit into this. Without a whole lot of monkey wrenching. Just mm -hmm. these are my people. I feel like I could, you know, 
I could be friends with them. They could be friends with me no matter what. I met somebody at the gym there earlier today, and they were like, I had a BHA vest on. They're like, BHA, I love BHA. And the next hour, we stopped, sat and talked for an hour. I'm like, yeah. I didn't even work out. <laughs> sat, and <laughs> sat and talked for an hour. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's that kind of feeling that means something to me, like coming back to a place and being like, it's my, this is my place. These are my people. Yeah. Um, and that's important. And, you know, hunting can provide that. It's provided that for me in like an abstract way. But um, there's some things that are more – like more important and the cookbook club is, is a delicious way to make that happen you can you can adopt that you should maybe you should join our cookbook club we're well, not maybe here. i'll take There's yeah maybe i'll take seats. your spot are these nice people they are the best people mm. they are, are they handsome quirky and, talented? and weird talented really good cooks creative it's uh, a lot of pressure we do some wild game yeah that's good yeah we do wild game and signature cocktails. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, give me one. Let's close out with one signature cocktail. I just need, yeah. I mean, we're right there. Signature oh. cocktail. Something that you. My own personal or yeah, the a, Adam Foss oh, sheep tag special. Well, I don't know if this is a sheep tag special, but I'm a fan of the Caesar. Oh, I am a big fan. The Caesar salad or Caesar the the not the salad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about the salad, folks. It was our signature cocktail at our wedding. The Caesar, for those that don't know, is a Canadian co- cocktail. Okay, invented Great. in Calgary, Alberta, mm. in the late '60s, the Palazzo Hotel. This sucker's got 58 years of history. That's what I'm talking about. Damn, lots of people talk about a Bloody Mary. You, know, you ever drink Bloodies after a long night? Oh, it's bullshit. They ain't got shit on the Caesar. The Bloody Mary's wicked cool cousin. It is clamato juice, which is clam and tomato juice. Vodka. I got to go back to clamato juice. Never had it. You probably have. You never. You never. You, I've had a Caesar with you at one of the shows. I know I've had one with you. Have we had a Caesar? Now listen, I was probably <laughs> six whiskeys deep when we started knocking these down. It might be. And the the beauty of the Caesar is it is the hangover cocktail, and so let me break it down. Clamato juice, which is tomato juice and, cl- and clam juice. You can't really get it in the States. It's a Canadian thing, or you got to have it special ordered in. Ooh, Not everybody cool. has it. All right. Intriguing. Vodka. Worcester sauce. Ooh. Tabasco. Oh. Salt and pepper. Rim the glass with a lime. Rim it in a little bit of uh, yeah. seasoning salt. Ooh. And now you do a. A toothpick with a banana pepper, spicy pickle, asparagus. People even put pepperoni or beef jerky in them. Oh, my God. I had one at, this is where I had a Caesar with you. I'm remembering. It was at SCI. Okay. We're in Vegas. It was breakfast at that, whatever hotel it was. We had had like a really quick breakfast. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah! I remember that. That was a Caesar. That shit's good. There you go. Ah, I like that. I haven't drank something. Don't even remember what it is. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, that one I had a piece of fried that. chicken on it. Yes, it yeah. had a, piece of- <laughs> a giant piece of fried chicken. That's right. Yes. So, uh, okay. So well, that- listen. That's like, uh, yep, yep. I think a challenge for the listener is to create your own Caesar. 
based on the recipe that Adam just provided. Is there any other like main takeaway things you got to do? There's a secret, hmm. and um, something you want to give away. Or you... Well, what do you think? I I trust. I'm a trust. We're Nobody's tr- listening. No, we're in the trust tree. We're in the nest. There is a secret among Caesar enthusiasts and mixologists mm. everywhere. My brother does this, and he makes the best Caesar. On he's about to Earth. kill a Marco Polo sheep with a bow. <laughs> so he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. A little bit of pickle juice. Yep, like that. And a little bit of horseradish. Ooh. If yes. you like it spicy. I do like it spicy. You will like one of those. I like horseradish. Yeah. Creamy. So you've got this salty, savory drink and it's you start your night off with one or it's a breakfast cocktail oh, you yeah. get a you get an eggs benny and a caesar oh. and you're back at it oh <laughs> this is science this so is real talk why don't we leave everybody with that tell me what you would put as garnish on your and, how, and what would you do to it and get creative with it yeah you can do steak spice turn it in like homework that's right let's do Next week. All right. When this launches. You heard it here, you heard it here first, folks. Caesar 2.0. Bring them. Maybe we'll do it on the next time. We'll do Caesars. We'll come. We'll, we'll make all the Caesar recipes that were people send in. <laughs> and halfway through, we'll just be just so drunk and full of fried chicken. That's right. Pickles, brisket. That's yeah. right. Yeah, brisket. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's not a, a bad idea. That's a Southern Caesar. That's a, yeah, that's a Texas Caesar. There you go. Well, thanks, sir. I appreciate your uh, general badassness. And if you... If you uh, if people want to see kind of your work, where, what should they look at? They should check out brands that I'm fortunate enough to work for: Sika Gear, Yeti, Stone Glacier backpacks, Hell yeah. Gerber knives and tools, fishing tools. Um, check out what those guys are doing. Or my Instagram handles Foss, which is my last name, Man, the number eight, Fossman eight, Fossman eight. That's what people call me. Foss man. Uh, people call me that. I call you that. S- Sloan goes, Foss man. Foss man. I've never shit. Okay. That's just And I it like is. it. I do like it. You got to pick it. that up over the way. I think those people like you. If they just called you Adam, that's yeah. fucking boring. It's too formal. So many Adams. <laughs> There's only one Foss man. That's right. Um, they can check some of that stuff out and yeah, just see where the hell we'll we you. are. <laughs> Come hang out with us at the Wild Sheep Show 2019. I'll buy you. If I see you and you reference this podcast, I'll buy you Caesar. And you'll see Adam and I (laughs) leaning up against the wall. That's right. (laughs) Trying to handle our Caesars. That's right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Cookbook night coming up. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. (laughs) That's it. That's all. Episode number 28 of the books. Thanks to Adam Foss. Great conversation. Great 406 beer. Uh, to denote the fact that we're in, in Bozeman, Montana for the foreseeable future that will be our new home for myself, my family, and the podcast so uh, hopefully a lot good to come of that change and thanks to everybody who's, who supported that by the way as we moved up there and made our big road trip north and did our Texas podcast to say goodbye to that place really appreciate all the well wishes and the comments and the insight along the way uh Please go in the meantime to thehuntingcollective.com. Check out the podcast there. There's a whole bunch of good ones. As I said, the series of Texas podcasts that, that includes Wyman Menzer, Russell Cunningham, Omar Avila, and our latest, Roy and Ryan Cedars, the founders of Yeti. Until next time, when we'll be taking a trip at some point soon to Washington, D.C., 
And during that trip, we'll be talking to a lot of influential folks in politics and legislation and just some of my friends that live around there. And so stay tuned for that. We'll come at you next time. Honey Collective. Bye. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.